You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Jesse Bradley is a former professional soccer goalkeeper playing in Zimbabwe, Africa, as well as Aberdeen, Scotland. But while Jesse was playing for a soccer team in Zimbabwe and tutoring students, he was taking a prescribed drug called Larium to protect against malaria. Now this dangerous and controversial drug built up toxic levels in his system after several months and the results were tragic. Now fighting for his life for the next year, Jesse's soccer career was suddenly taken away because of his health battle. It was a 10 year recovery and Jesse learned his deepest lessons in life during this time. Now you can call Jesse Bradley pastor as he is lead pastor at Grace Community Church in Seattle, Washington. And he also leads with a citywide gospel movement called Saturate the Sound, a collective of 100 churches and ministries committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in the Pacific Northwest. Well, Jesse brings a message of hope to us today. So let's welcome friend and brother in Christ, Pastor Jesse Bradley. Welcome. Dr. Ward, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for inviting me onto your show. I can tell you love what you do. You bring a lot of hope. I appreciate the stories on your show, and I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be with you today. Let's spread some hope together. Well, let's do that. But first of all, I want to kick off this uh, our, our time together by thanking you personally. You were one of the very few that literally just emailed me out of the clear blue asking me uh, and even praying for me before and after my eye surgery and you will not believe how much that means to me so thank you so much brother i'm grateful that those prayers have been answered and you've had so much restoration with your vision you know health is such a gift we don't take it for granted and when someone's hurting let's all rally together encourage people pray and uh, we see the healing that's happened i thank god for that Oh, amen to that. Well, you know, like the word, we both know what the word says, where two or more are gathered in his name. Well, touching anything as we lay hands on other people, we know that God's healing power still works today. He will not hold anything back. All we have to do is ask him. That's it. There's no limits to what God can do. He wants us to pray. He gets all the glory, but he is a God who answers prayer, who cares, who hears, and he makes the difference. Amen to that. And I'm not going to even add to that one, uh, Jesse, but I want to ask you right off the bat, how in the world did you become a professional soccer goalkeeper? Well, it started early because when I was two years old, I told my parents I want to play pro sports and basketball was my passion. That's what I thought I would play, but you have to be extremely quick or extremely tall. And as it worked out, my talent was in goalkeeping. In terms of soccer, it was a sport that I found a little later in life. But when there's a fit, sometimes in life, you just don't know what God's put inside of you. And it's a discovery process. And there might be some things he's placed in you that you're not going to find out right away. But you start walking down that path. It's hard to steer a parked car. So I played three sports. Soccer emerged and then went on to play in college and professionally. Goalkeeper's a unique position. I tell my kids, there's 10 other great positions. Play goalkeeper if you have to. And I kind of joke around because, you know, as being a goalie, you dive at people's feet, you get kicked. There's more pressure in soccer on a goalkeeper. But I loved it. I mean, I, I love the moments, the locker room, the teams, the guys I played with, even the pressure of the game, uh, the competition, keeping the ball out of the net, diving around. It's all pretty fun. 
Well, it almost sounds like to me that the Lord was preparing you for a different purpose. So here you are, well, saving, uh, well, basically preventing the other team from scoring. So you were saving the ball from getting into the net to going into saving souls. You know, as far as the goalkeeper goes, there's a lot of communication. I had to grow in that area and working with my teammates and collaboration is a, a lesson I learned on the soccer field. It's true off the field and for life, it's so valuable. But there are shifts that I've gone through and sometimes life is going one way and then it's not going that way anymore and it's even out of your control. And, you know, when I went through that tragedy and one of the battles is that the side effects they brought on waves of depression, anxiety, and I had so many thoughts that came into my mind that were not helpful, that were not good. They were destructive. They were discouraging. And I felt like a goalie, even the battle in between my ears, keeping those thoughts out, guarding it so the thoughts that are true and positive and right, I would make sure that those were the thoughts that were going to go forward. And the way you think affects everything in terms of your life. And your mind is so key. So I feel like the step before going into becoming a pastor, you know, and yes, I I'm, I'm just love people. I care about their souls. I care about their minds, their hearts, their relationships. But it was a shift, I think, from first soccer to then just guarding and kind of goalkeeping in my own mind. And then as it plays out, being able to help people just stay out of the traps of life, save them from some headaches, some things I went through that they don't have to go through, and then the abundant life that's available to us. So I think the parallel, the metaphor carries in those three instances. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to ask you something because so most likely for everybody to know that when you were playing in Zimbabwe, you were taking the larium to protect yourself against malaria. How, when did you start noticing that uh, the levels were building up. What was the physical effects that you were dealing with? Yeah, there were no initially side effects that stood out and there was no warning as well. It wasn't until about a season into you know, my time in Zimbabwe that the symptoms suddenly came on. I had migraine headaches and I never have headaches and I couldn't handle any noise or any light. So that was unique. And then my heart would start beating 160 beats a minute while I was sitting still. And it felt like it was just beating out of my chest. It's like, what's causing that? And then double vision. And then I started to um, have a loss of temperature regulation, sweats and chills, vacillating back and forth. We knew it was getting serious. And the doctor said, fly back to America before your health deteriorates even further. And we paid out of pocket, went to Stanford. A physician there said it's one of 10 things. One of the possibilities was side effects of the drug. And I knew deep inside, there are times in life when you just know. And I prayed, I listened to God's voice, and that voice is not always audible, but he'll speak to your heart and to your mind. And the doctors told me, keep taking the drug for another month because malaria can stay latent in your body. And they didn't want me to get malaria on top of the illness. They thought I would surely die if that, if that happened. And I respected their good intentions, but I knew inside it was the drug. And I told, and this took a lot of courage, I told all the doctors and some family and friends, I'm not going to take another month of this drug. We had my blood sent to the center of disease control. Later on, they sent it back and confirmed there were toxic levels of the drug in my system. And if I didn't say no to the doctors at that point, I probably wouldn't be doing the interview today. And I just learned that, you know, most important, doctors are right a lot of the times, but most important, I try to listen to God. And that particular decision saved my life. And I also realized 
in my 20s, life is a gift. I want to make the most of my opportunities. If I'm in my right mind, if I can help anybody, this is a gift from God. So I don't take my health for granted. I don't take time on earth for granted. Like I want to run with the health I have. And I just love people. I love seeing people come alive. And I love seeing people experience hope and healing. And that pain that I went through really forged and fueled a passion and a purpose that grew out of that tragedy. I think a lot of people can relate. The best experiences sometimes come in the worst situations. And they also start to really deepen could be your faith, deepen your compassion, so you connect and care for people in a fresh new way. Oh, amen to that. And, you know, here's what I'm trying to figure out. So you're taking the drug Larium to protect you against malaria, but you come back to America, they want you to take it for another month because, well, just in case you were to get malaria. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's why you were taking the drug in the first place. And, you know, Kind of reminds me of what happened the last couple of years here, you know, take this and hopefully it'll mm-hmm. protect you. But it didn't mm-hmm. seem like the malaria, I mean, the, uh, the larium, I mean, yeah. you know, I understand that the drug is very controversial. Then you, so with the side effects, were you dealing with, well, I guess, how would you explain it? Like mental demons? I mean, were you having suicidal tendencies and things of that sort? Right. Great question. I try to be transparent, vulnerable. There were waves of depression I had never experienced before. I felt like I lost my emotional equilibrium and there were panic attacks. There were moments when those thoughts would come in and you know, suicide would enter my thinking. What I discovered is the power of the second thought. And the first thought you can't control that comes into your mind. It could be selfish, it could be mean, harsh, impure, but you don't have to entertain it, harbor it, or believe it. And the power of the second thought is to choose something, intentionally replace the first thought. And I started to read the Bible and really memorize the Bible. I knew I needed something to focus on to keep my mind out of the ditch. And I started to, you know, Psalm 46, verse one, God is our refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble. I would just say that. If a really negative uh, or a thought of despair or even a suicidal thought came into my mind, I would reject it. And I would say, no, like, I know I'm loved by God. And I know I'm made in his image and I believe he has plans for me. And even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, like I'm going to trust him. So we can still make decisions. No one can force your attitude. No one can force your thought. No one can stop your prayer. There's a place there that's still safe in the in the worst storms. And even though I lost my career, even though, you know, I lost my health, even though I lost that emotional equilibrium, Like God was still there. And out of that, Dr. Ward, I'll just add, because this was a a deep thing for me with wellness. My identity before that was in my performance. And ultimately, that's a performance trap. And it's a roller coaster ride of pride and shame of being inflated and deflated. Who you are is not what you do. And I had to separate that. And by losing my career and losing those activities that brought so many accolades, you know, the academics, the athletics, I went to an Ivy League college, like losing that, having that out of the picture forced me to wrestle with who am I and where I landed my identity, because it's like an anchor. You choose where you're going to place your trust, your confidence, your identity. I landed it in God's presence and his love because I realized no one can ever take that away. And it was a new security. And even though it was brutal to go through what I went through and to lose my career and my really my dream, childhood dream, out of that, some things emerged that were far greater in value. 
And one of those was a new security. And instead of it being rooted in performance, it was rooted in the grace of God. Yeah. And so there were some really powerful things that were on the upside of this tragedy. But it was ironic that the drug that was supposed to protect me was killing me. And some people have had a person in their life, maybe an authority figure even, that even a parent that was supposed to protect you and is actually undermining you. And that's a lot to sort through. And I'm just grateful because I didn't know God growing up. I didn't read the Bible growing up, didn't go to church growing up. Like this didn't happen until I was a young adult. And as a new follower of Jesus, there was a lot to sort through. But Jesus said this promise in Matthew 7, that if you stick with him, you listen to him, you abide with him, your house will be like a house on the rock and not the sand. Amen. And when my house just felt like the sand, the one place I could go to was Jesus. And he rebuilt my life. And that foundation became rock and not sand. Well, Pastor Jesse, I'm going to call you pastor because you deserve that. And uh, and I want to I dive deep in here because a lot of people who are watching, a lot of people who are listening mentally struggle every single day. They could be struggling from the side effects of a medication like you did where, you know, it, it could be having warning signs on the label of the drug that says, you know, you could have suicidal tendencies. People in this day and age, we're seeing more and more dark moments. And yeah. you said some very important things that I want people to listen to. And I want to kind of to walk through and kind of hopefully break this down to give them tools to take home, to mm -hmm. tools to take with them and to just to protect themselves. First of all, you said there's two thought processes. There's, there's always that thought that enters our mind first, but that second yeah. thought is that thought process in which we control. Mm -hmm. And one, one of my biggest, um, gosh, I think it's one of my biggest soapboxes this year, Pastor, is that I want more and more people to literally open up the Bible and actually read it hmm. and and to learn and to get those scriptures inside of them because that's the sword, that's the shield, that's that's our rock that we can lean on. Like you said, you were leaning on scriptures that if a thought process came into your mind, you used your choice to say, no, this is what the Word of God says, this is what the Word of God says about me. Look, we both know that God wants all of us to live healthy, abundantly, in His presence, always seeking Him. But a lot of people don't understand, and, and you're the perfect example that can show us. Mm -hmm. You know what a dark moment is like. And a lot of people today, they they feed off that dark moment. So instead of shedding light on the darkness, they keep feeding the darkness until the time comes where they may make the wrong decision and end their own life. Mm, right. And I've had that happen even in my own family. So it does touch close to home. And a lot of people feel hopeless. Here's a couple statistics that caught my attention, because I think these facts tell stories. During the pandemic, the Census Bureau said that half of Americans feel hopeless. And then recently, the American Psychological Association said that there are now all-time records in terms of numbers of people who feel stress. The stress has never been higher. Anxiety is high. 
Center of Disease Control said this is the highest number of people that are taking their lives due to overdose. And so what you're describing is real. It's in families. It's in our community where I live. People are feeling hopeless. They're searching and starving for hope. At the same time, in over 75 countries, this was a study, University of Copenhagen, there are record numbers of searches for prayer and for God. People are looking for hope, and they're even lifting their eyes up off their situation to look to God. And they're wondering, who is he? Is he out there? Is he good? Does he care? I didn't believe God existed growing up. And when I went to Dartmouth, you know, I thought my life would be fulfilled if I just had good grades, friends, and sports. And I thought those three would carry me. And, and yet, I knew there were two stories in my life, the outside story where things look successful and the outside story, that's what people see on social media. That's their impression of you. But the inside story is the real story. And sometimes only you know that story. And I knew of an emptiness there that other people didn't perceive. And I took a class, Introduction to World Religions, and I started to read the different texts started to learn about God for the first time. The professor kind of undermined some faith, but at the same time for me, reading the Bible was new and it was different than any other book I had read. And I encourage you today, you can get a Bible online, like a study Bible, life application Bible, and open up. The Gospel of John is what I read, and that was my assignment in the class. You can read that book. And the Gospel of John will tell you about Jesus. It stood out to me that he's unique. His teaching, his miracles, sinless, died for our sins, overcame death in the grave. I mean, there's just no one like Jesus. And I believe he's gonna return, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he fascinated me, but I wasn't ready to follow him. I had dozens and dozens of questions. So I found a friend, his name was Mike. He was the first person I ever talked to about spiritual things. Find someone like that who knows the Bible or knows Jesus and start to have that conversation, a safe place where you can kick the tires. And that's what I did because I want to see the evidence of the resurrection, the evidence of the Bible. If I'm going to believe Jesus and follow him, I need to trust him. This is a relationship. It's not rules and just rituals and religion. This is a relationship with God. That's what transforms us. It's not laws that transform us. It's relationship that changes our heart. And that relationship is based on grace. That's what stood out to me about Jesus is that this is not earned. It's not performance. It's not climbing a ladder. I'll never be perfect. This is forgiveness and grace, an undeserved gift, and I just need to receive it. And I think that's what throws people a curveball sometimes is because we think, okay, when we hear God, some people have had bad experiences and there's deep scars, and I understand that. And it's hard to separate those experiences from the goodness of God. And in other people, it's just new to learn about God. But when we hear God, sometimes we think, the focus is on ourselves and our performance and being good enough. But the exact opposite is true. The starting point is receiving. Receive forgiveness. Receive love. God already knows you and pursues you and loves you. You're not going to surprise him. So receiving this relationship and this love, that's what changed my life. And in terms of growing and more hope, habits are huge. For me, again, growing up, I never read the Bible. It was new to start reading the Bible in the morning. But that was part of the connection with God. That was part of receiving each morning, getting filled up each morning. So I'm ready for what's coming, you know, the relationships, the challenges. What's going to happen? Nobody knows in one day. But I'm going to start by abiding, this word of closeness and trust. And if I'm abiding with God, he's going to bring me love and joy and peace that I'm going to be able to share with other people. So my mornings change, those kind of habits right there. My prayers 
first began. And I'll never forget, you know, in the dorm, the first time I ever talked to God. I went to parties that night and I was still just blown away that I just talked to God for the first time. And prayer is, is God's grace that he listens to us. We can talk to him. The Bible says in Psalm 62, 8, pour out your heart to God. And when I started praying, I thought I had to be eloquent. I thought that I had to be precise. I thought that, you know, it's almost like God's grading me and I better come through with a really good prayer. The focus was wrong. Again, it was pressure on me that was not needed. It wasn't coming from God. And to pour out my heart to God, that means that God is interested in more than just my success. God wants to hear about my pain, uh, where I'm struggling, where I have doubts. I'm going to pour out my heart. I'm going to share my dreams with God. Like It's going to flow. I'm not going to hold back. And we come to his throne of grace because, again, he invites us. He wants that closeness with us. And you can pour out your heart to God. Those habits right there, starting the day by starting to read the Bible, I started to memorize verses because I knew I needed them during the day. You either go with the word or you go with the world. And, you know, either sin and temptation keep you from the book or the book will keep you from that sin. And I just knew I needed new habits and habits are powerful. They might look small. It might just look like 10 minutes where you read some of the Gospel of John, you think about or meditate on one of the verses and you pray. But those 10 minutes can change the trajectory of your day. And those habits, when you start doing them every day, it builds up this foundation and it builds up this strength in your relationship with God. Because I believe everyone is intellectual, relational, emotional, and also spiritual. And sometimes we neglect our soul. And part of that self-care is guarding that time that's going to be so rich, that's going to fill you up. Jesus has living water for your soul, and we need to drink deeply every day. Oh, I am with you there because every morning I start my day off reading, and I probably read the Bible for a good 30 minutes minimum. Mm -hmm. And right now I've been going through the whole Bible. And mm -hmm. and for a lot of people, you know, it's, it's funny because you're... You're like some that I've that I've talked to before where they read the Bible as a book first. Yeah. Then as the Holy Spirit starts to work, then you notice that uh, you're not really you're I guess you're the Lord basically gave you revelation knowledge where the things you were reading appeared so much different than the first time you read them. And, and I just find that incredible. And what I want to see, Pastor, is, you know, when it comes to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He will make your path straight. I believe that if people will just start reading the Word, mm -hmm. and look, and don't lean to your own understanding. Look, God knows we don't know it all. So right. let him know that you don't know it all. I mean, just sometimes just be humble enough to say, God, I don't understand what this means. You mm -hmm. know, show me. God will show you. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've learned, Pastor, about getting your prayers answered is ask the Lord for those things that you know he will answer. So mm -hmm. start off with what's in the Bible, you know? Yeah. You know, if you're having a problem believing he will help you with your unbelief, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. the list just goes on and on. You know, we, we look at the fruits of the spirit. You know, the Lord can help us to, to be kind when we haven't been kind. He'll help us to be good and faithful. 
you know, as long as we're honest. And I think a lot of the times when it comes to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we just need to be honest. And at the same time, we need yes. to let go and let yes. God do his thing. As long as we have a receiving heart and a receiving spirit, uh, yeah. mighty, mighty things will happen for us. So well said. I appreciate the way you share your faith, too. And, you know, be authentic with God. Be authentic with other people. Don't fake and be extra spiritual or, you know, just share your story. Share what's going on. God will meet you right where you're at. He is a God who is right there, right now. I mean, if anyone's watching and just wants to start a relationship with God or start to talk to God or like Dr. Ward said, there's a promise in James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, ask God and he's going to give it to you generously. You just simply say, God, I don't know what to do. I've got some decisions today. I've got some confusing stuff and at my job, in my family. I need your wisdom. And then pray that with a teachable heart. Let him lead you and guide you. At the crux of my faith, and, and I believe this with all my heart, although this it's, it's humility on this road with God, is that my life would be better if Jesus leads and I follow than if I lead and I tell Jesus to follow me. And that's at the crux right there of trusting him, that God's timing. He takes me to places I never thought I would be. He's done things I could never imagine. And there's just no way it would have happened if I didn't, you know, keep walking with him. And part of that is his word, because that's how he communicates to you. His voice is more important than any other voice. We live in a noisy culture, a lot of voices, a lot of noise coming at you every day, a lot of ads every day. And to guard that time, listen to his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, not a stranger's voice, but he's a good shepherd. And when you know his voice, you spend time in his word, you let that sink in deeply. It's like a gateway. Some people with drugs talk about there's a gateway drug that then leads to all these other drugs. Spending time in the Bible is a gateway that leads to prayer. It leads to serving. It leads to discovering your gifts. It leads to a healthier marriage. It leads to loving your neighbors instead of ignoring them or being indifferent. It leads to cross-cultural friendships. I mean, it's a gateway where you start to get God's mind and God's heart when you get close with him. And then where he directs you, it's an exciting thing. I Life is not boring with Jesus. There's, there's a lot of misperceptions, you know, and, and I'll tell you, one of them is uh, that if you follow the Lord, it's just kind of simple, safe, boring. And I tell you, it's the exact opposite when you see how Jesus lives and how he'll direct and empower you to live. Amen. I want to ask you something because, you know, you have this huge faith journey. Do you remember the first time you ever preached? Mm, I do. It was in a Presbyterian church. So that church is very kind, a little more reserved. So not too many amens, but they let me preach. And uh, I knew something right then. You know, I hated public speaking. I really did. I There was a teacher in high school who wanted me to give a speech in front of the school. And I begged him like three times, pleaded, and even maybe like threatened, like, I'm not going to do it. He made me do it. And I just, it was awful. Uh, and then something happened after I put my trust in Jesus, where it was a complete 180. And I remember my senior year in college getting up in front of, and this was like high school students, and I shared my story and I just shared some things to bring hope. And I shared about faith and it just felt like this is what I'm supposed to do now. And so being able to preach, um, 
I, I preach to myself during the day. You know, I'm probably preaching to my kids way too much, but I like to preach at church. I like to, you know, just speak to people, meet people where they're at. Uh, times like this where, you know, people who are tuned in and maybe there's people watching who would never in the past go to church or read the Bible. But let's just talk about life and what's real and what makes a difference and the love, because nothing's greater than love in the love that's available to all of us. And conversations like this fire me up. Oh, you know what? I want, you know, I want everybody who's watching and everyone listening. I want to encourage you right now because because Pastor Jesse said something that I want you to really take to heart. A lot of you are looking for your purpose. You're wondering what your calling is. Here is a gentleman that asked Jesse, I want you to speak before these people. Mm-hmm. And he told him no three times. You know, we, we kind of know the, the number three in the Bible. Even Peter denied three times. And here you are yeah. denying, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to be speaking. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to think about this. If someone comes to you and asks you something that literally terrifies you, okay? not It's not going to be detrimental to you, okay? Even if it's just public speaking. Think about this. Mm-hmm. If you say no, you could be missing out on your calling, your purpose. You could be missing out on gifts, talents, and abilities that are literally inside you, but they haven't been birthed yet. And sometimes we've got to overcome just that little act of fear. Choose faith instead of fear. It takes the same amount of energy to choose either one. Yeah, because point. if you step out, and, and Pastor, you know, I, I was trained in public speaking in in school you know when when you had to do the debates yeah yeah i was like yeah i'll pull you know i'll pull out all the weapons and see what we're gonna do to win but yeah you know even uh i mean i remember the first time that i actually spoke in church i remember i still remember the time when i went home my clothes were soaking (laughs) wet i sweat so much because i was so nervous but That's I right. did it. And if I didn't take that crazy step, there I wouldn't go. be sitting here with you yes. talking to you about Jesus and all the great things that the Lord is willing, willing, ladies and gentlemen, to do yeah. for us. But sometimes we just got to take that little step and that little step opens yes. up a whole brand new world to you, a brand new season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, one of my favorite books of all time was written by Bruce Wilkinson or Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. Who, who yeah. always wrote, you know, wrote the uh, the prayer Jabez the book, but yeah. the best book is called The Dream Giver. And mm-hmm. for those who've never read it, I will tell you this: if you are needing some guidance in pursuing the dream or the desire of your heart that God gave you, there is a story and what I would call a playbook mm-hmm. that. Uh, you have to keep going back here. Sometimes, uh, Jesse, I will read that book at least once a year just to be reminded, you know, yeah. because uh, you and I both know what the pruning season is like. That's right. That's right. For sure. <laughs> now, well, For did sure. you feel, well, let me ask you this. Did yeah. you feel that there was a, a, was it a growing season and a pruning season between the time of you battling recovery fr- from the, the larium side effects to end up in ministry? Right. And and I just love the word you gave to people who are watching. So empowering and so true. Because 
you know, sometimes people think like, oh, I bet it just feels great to get up and speak. And actually, I still feel nervous. Like before this interview, I prayed. Uh, feelings, they're real. But I've heard it said this way. You don't want to give them the steering wheel and give them too much power. You don't want to stick them in the trunk and just stuff them all the time. Okay. So what do you do with those feelings? And when those feelings come, and they do, feeling nervous, feeling overwhelmed, this is how you can think through it. We all need God. And those feelings are just a reminder that I need God's help, that I'm not self-sufficient. And so in my weakness, God's power is going to be more evident. And when I feel scared, that doesn't mean stop. That doesn't mean the story's over, game's over. But instead, that means I'm going to rely on God even more. And in my weakness, it's going to be his power. And he's going to come through. He's going to get the glory again. So there's a lot of people who get caught up in, well, I just don't feel awesome before I go and do it. No, sometimes you just won't. And that's okay. It's okay just to acknowledge that feeling and then decide you're going to live by faith even more than feeling. And when you do that, just like Dr. Ward said, I'm telling you, there's no limits to what God can do. It might start out as a five-hour week volunteer position or a part-time job. It might start out as you're just helping a few kids and then look what God will do locally, globally. Just take that step of faith, walk by faith. And there is a pruning. And I appreciate you say that too, because you know when I lived in Southern California, I was amazed looking at avocado trees and the pruning that happens. And I thought, oh, they've, they've surely cut too much off here. You know, they made a mistake. We're not going to get any avocados. And then I'd look at these trees, and sure enough, harvest time, there's avocados everywhere. And they knew just how much to prune. And God will prune in our lives. He'll chip away and sometimes crush that pride. Sometimes it's a pruning with our schedule or our priorities. Sometimes it's in the way we talk or our beliefs. There's a pruning that happens because God is committed to love you, to make you more like Jesus, to bring out your best self. When you think like, what am I going to do? What's my calling? I like to say it this way. We have appliances at our house. And when we're not sure what they're designed to do or how they work in the intricate details, we go to the maker. We call up General Electric and say, tell me more or open up the book and say, let me just see a little more about how the wiring is in this appliance. And I'll tell you, you have a maker. You're not here by accident or random. You're unique. You're amazingly and wonderfully made. And God has gifted you beyond what you can even know or perceive. And part of that discovery process is walking closely with God, asking God, listening to God, being real with God, and letting him step into revealing those gifts and guiding you on a path that's not going to be a self-sufficient path, but it's going to be far beyond what you could ask or imagine because he's good like that. You say, well, hard times are going to come. Absolutely. Look at Jesus. He was crucified. There's a cost. When you have a calling and you're really making a difference in this world, darkness shows up. You know, the, the bugs in Minnesota would, would flock to the light and those big mosquitoes that look like birds. I mean, just hover around the light. The bugs are going to come. The critics are going to come. The haters are going to come. It's going to happen. But don't be discouraged. Don't give up because your calling is worth it. It's worth it. And when the cost comes, just keep going. Don't shrink back. And I think a lot of people during the pandemic were tested to the core. I think there was pruning that happened. But what's emerged from that pruning is an even greater fruit. And I'm oh, grateful amen. for that. Well, you know, you and I were, were talking bef before the interview. And, you know, I told you, you know, one of my favorite chapters is John 15. And, yes. and I really 
studied the very first part of John 15 talking about the vineyard. And, and a lot of us, ladies and gentlemen, we need to realize that we are that vineyard. Yes. God is that vine dresser. He's the gardener coming in with the little shears. He's pruning here. He's pruning there. You know, sometimes, you know, in a, in a, uh, in a true vineyard, um, the roots are very old and they take care of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because they can produce, you know, decade after decade after decade, as long as you take care of them. But God, that's what he does. He is there to take care of us. So mm -hmm. let's say if one of the vines, the, 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 the vine is growing towards the ground and the leaves are dirty. Well, mm -hmm. what is he going to do? He, he wants to come into you. He wants to wash that dirt off. He, he wants to, to tie you up a little higher. He wants right. to trim a little here because what's the vineyard there for? To produce mm -hmm. fruit. He wants yeah. you to produce. He wants you to have the desire to produce and be willing to do whatever it takes to be to fill that basket that he's bringing down mm -hmm. each row of that vineyard and you know one thing about it pastor jesse you know god is not going to turn away from us his mm -hmm. his compassion is beyond anything we can ever understand and yeah. you know today i mean even in our society today even christians are dealing with guilt and, mm -hmm. and shame insecurities uh not feeling worthy, but we're the righteousness of Christ. I mean, mm -hmm. when you have people, let's say in your own congregation that are going through those things, what do you tell them? Yes. And that's real. It's another experience that's so common. Sometimes we don't talk about it because there's even shame in talking about shame. But the passage you brought up, John 15, I lived in Northern California in the vineyards and that abiding, Jesus said over 10 times, abide. And you know, what is that? That's the relational side. That's the reliance and the closeness. And he says, you will bear much fruit. It's impossible to abide with Jesus and not bear fruit. It's not from striving and trying to impress everyone, impress God, but it's through that closeness, trusting, following God's word, you're gonna bear much fruit. Now, are we gonna stumble along the way? Absolutely. You know, I love my children. We have four children, three biological, one adopted. They're all my kids. We have a great time together. I love them. They're always gonna be my kids. When you put your trust in Jesus, you're in God's family forever. It's just the quality of the relationship that can change. If my kids make some bad decisions this week, it affects our relationship, but they're still my kids. So there's a security in an acceptance that is real, that's eternal, that you can have in Jesus. Now, the quality of the relationship can waver. Sometimes we make bad decisions. David in the Bible made some horrendous decisions. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart, and yet he had someone murdered. He committed adultery. He was passive as a father. There were just a long, long list of things that he didn't do well, and yet he's a man after God's own heart. And this is a key. If you look at Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you see the forgiveness God brings. And David says, you know, when I didn't own up it, when I didn't confess it, when I didn't bring it out, it just my strength was sapped like the heat of summer. But then I brought it to you, God. And God, you forgave me. And he says, you also took away my guilt and my shame. And I am telling you today, God will meet you right where you're at, and you might think, well, I've done some terrible things. The grace of Jesus is greater than your sin. It abounds. It covers our sin. 
And not only does God forgive our sins, but he also takes away guilt and shame. Will you let God have the guilt and shame? You might be thinking, wait a minute, that's outrageous. That's radical. That's the grace of God. He forgives our sins and he takes away the guilt and the shame. So don't hold on to it anymore. When you hold on to guilt or shame or unforgiveness, resentment towards people who have mistreated you, it's like being trapped in a prison that you don't have to be in. And you have a key. And when you forgive, when you receive God's grace, you step out of that little jail cell. You step into a freedom and a love. You step into a truth. And that's our God. That's the goodness of God. He does that deep, deep work. And I'll tell you, when you forgive people, see, I, there were people I couldn't forgive until I experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. And, I believe and that. We, the first time and, in my life, I forgave him. Yeah. And, we're, and we've all been there. And, yeah. you know, Pastor, I want to ask you this because... I'm in Texas. We literally have two things on every corner. It's either a gas station or a church. That's right. Uh, you know, a lot of churches in California, a lot of churches in Florida. But you're a pastor in Seattle, Washington. That's what right. is it like to pastor in Seattle? Because here in the South, when somebody says yeah. Seattle, we're either thinking of, you know, the Seahawks, the Mariners, or wait a minute, aren't they liberal? What's it like right. to pastor there? You're right. Such a different part of the country. We have the second highest de-churched in the nation of any city, ninth highest unchurched. On a given Sunday, you might see 2% of the people in a neighborhood going to church. Whereas, you know, in the Bible Belt, and I went to seminary in Dallas, there were mega churches everywhere. It was just a given that you go to church. Like the question is, which church do you go to? Here, if you go to church, you're swimming upstream. And there aren't as many side benefits. Sometimes a danger in the Bible Belt is that people just go because they've always gone or they're going through the motions. Their religion is that what they have, but they don't have the relationship or they're just going for some business connections and, you know, some different things. But I'll tell you, up here, the people who are in church on a Sunday, they love Jesus and, and it's a fervent faith. But as far as the, the culture goes, there's so much that goes against God. I love the people here. But the challenge for a lot of Christians is they get intimidated, they get silent, and instead of shining their light for the Lord, they kind of hide and they yeah. retreat and they get in this little echo chamber, kind of a fake holy huddle, and, and suddenly they're not making a difference. And I say our faith is not for one day, it's for all days. It's not for one place, it's for every place where we live, work, learn, or play. And like you say, abide with Jesus. And when you step into those places, you're a culture changer. And you can bring a hope that people don't have and they don't even know where to find it. And that combination of because people are going to watch how you live. They might not be reading the Bible, but they're reading you. And so that double life, it isn't going to work in Seattle. So it's got to be authentic. But if they see something different, conversations happen. And I love to ask questions. I like to ask people, tell me, what's your view of God? Or what's your experience growing up? What's your religious background? Like, why do you believe what you believe? And if you take time to listen, there, there's an acronym BLESS. And I believe we're blessed to be a blessing. And this acronym is BEGIN WITH PRAYER listen to people, eat together, or in Seattle, that could be have coffee, and then serve and share. Share your story. Let them share their story. Share about Jesus. Share about hope. And as you do those things, you just say, God, you've blessed me to be a blessing today. How could I bless someone? Is it pay for their bill in Starbucks, right? Is it just saying a prayer for someone? Is it sending an encouraging text? When you start to live that way, uh, it changes your perspective. And instead of being based in fear, 
you're based in love because perfect love drives out fear. And there's a shift that's happening, I think, uh, what I see around churches in Seattle, where more people are being intentional to bless other people and churches are coming alive. Well, is, you know, here in Texas, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, you go to Texas and everybody's friendly. But but I'm more, I want to know the belief. I want to know the belief system. And, and I always like talking to people that may not believe like us because how are we going to learn how to minister if we don't start seeing through their eyes so that way the Holy Spirit can minister to us to effectively, yeah. you know, bring Christ to them. But in the Pacific Northwest, is there is is there more of a cynical spirit mm. up there mm. when it comes to belief or is the population more millennial based? Mm-hmm. Great question. You know, my family growing up, we're kind of like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors spiritually, atheist, agnostic, like Catholic, ex-Catholic, Jewish, rabbi. I have an uncle who's a rabbi and in California. So in some ways, Seattle feels a little like my family. There's a little bit of everything. And what I found is that you really have to get to know people one-on-one. And in those conversations, overall, I would say people are far more open than what you might think or what you initially might perceive. And I've found that there's actually a lot of openness in Seattle. Now, there are some delicate subjects to navigate, and it's important to choose your words carefully. But if your goal is understanding, and I love what you brought out there, we build bridges and we connect when our goal is understanding. When I can hear someone's journey and their pain points, I start to pick up on, this is how I describe it, is that many people have rejected a false view of God. In somewhere along their journey, they've been told or read something that was inaccurate. And so they have a view of God. It's not who God actually is. And they've rejected their view of God in terms of their perception. And what's exciting to do is come alongside that person and then share. And and it's not so much preaching. It's more of a sharing. It really is of saying, oh, I'm hearing you say this. You know, and then sharing that this is who I see God is for these reasons. And when they start to then sort through and when God, you know, kind of won me over, it was my heart and my head and my my head. That was the part I wanted evidence. I wanted facts. I wanted research. My heart was one that um, I had to admit there's some things missing in my life. And what I found is when you get to know people well, they'll open up when they feel safe and they'll start to share, here's some of my pain, Uh, here's some things that aren't making sense, here's some things I don't like, here's some struggles I have, some insecurities. Mm -hmm. And then when they connect that with who God is and how God could fill some of those voids, how God could change our lives and transform us. Uh, they just start to grow in their interest. And we've seen so many people come to know Jesus, get baptized. Uh, You know, you can step into any place, wherever God drops you in this world, whether it's Seattle, Texas, overseas, if you just start to love people, and it might sound so simple, love your neighbor, right? Bless the people (laughs) around you. Um, They're going to start to see God. And Jesus says when he's lifted up, He'll draw people. I can't force anyone to love God, but I can uh, tell people about this incredible love that changed my heart. And when people start to sort through that, um, it just gets fun. 
I mean, it's, it's amazing how many people are looking right now for a safe place to talk about God and process some of their thoughts. And online, we've seen tens of thousands of people come to know Jesus. It's happening in person in Seattle, but it's also happening globally. And I realized the last two years, I need to take some risks. Relationships are risks. I need to take some more risks. And through the digital ministry that's just taken off the last two years, during the pandemic, it's one, been one of those redemptive pieces. We've seen people uh, who are hungry for hope find it in Jesus, and it's, it's worldwide right now. Meet people where they're at, they're on their phones, provide content that leads to conversations, and then again, God will take care of the results. We try to over-control results. We don't yeah. need to. Just be faithful. Do the small things. Love people. What is God leading you to do? If it's cut your neighbor's grass who's a widow, or if it's you know surprise them with groceries, just do that thing and trust God with the results. And uh, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Yeah, that those are very wise words. And ladies and gentlemen, just soak that in. Be a sponge right now. Soak that in. And pastor, don't you think that as as Christians, um, we should learn the power of listening? Because just mm-hmm. sitting down with someone and just be a listener and not be a talker where... Yeah. Just let that person just pour out because that alone can bring them to Christ when they just know that just someone cares. Yes. Thank you for saying that. That is not said enough. (laughs) The ministry of presence, just being there. You know, I just, right before this interview, I was talking to someone who just lost her mom, tragically, a, a younger mom, and this is her daughter. And on that phone conversation, I felt like I just being there, just being there to listen and care. And when people share, listen with fully, you know, don't multitask with your phone. Don't um, just hear their words cognitively, but listen with your heart, listen with your mind, you know, listen uh, with your body. Notice the nonverbals too. listen really well to ask them questions. You know, it's been said you have to ask someone three times. How are you doing? And the first time in our culture just means I see you. Hey, how are you doing? And then you ask them and you say, no, tell me a little more. How, how are things going? You know, and, and then, and how do you feel about that? And they say after the third time, someone knows you want to listen. You're there for them. And that listening is active. And the Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. I find that verse so challenging in James chapter one, because I'm an extrovert. Like I just show up ready to, to talk. And yet loving is listening. You know, loving is sacrificing. Loving is listening. When someone listens to you well, you feel so loved. And they ask questions. They draw you out. They have time for you. In our fast-paced culture, listening is countercultural because it takes time. It's an emotional investment. It's empathy. It's caring. And when you listen well and love people in that way, they're going to feel safe. They're going to open up. They're then going to ask you some questions. You're going to be able to share. But start with listening. There's an incredible ministry, Alpha, and they just create safe places where people can bring their spiritual questions. And there's a listening. And we've seen so many people come to know Jesus through that ministry here. And it all starts with listening. So don't think you have to be this incredibly, you know, talented speaker. You can care for people in the deepest ways simply by being there and listening well. And I've learned and I'm learning 
that when the conversations get difficult, if I just stop before I respond, or I'm not just thinking about my answer, but then I say, this is what I'm hearing. Is that accurate? And that stop, pause, check in, that processing gives me some more time. It clears up any miscommunication because when any of us communicate, there's what we think we're saying, then there's what we actually say, and then there's what the other person perceives and then what they do with it. And you can't control all those things, but when you slow down and listen well, and then you also ask the person, is this what you're sharing? Because this is what I'm hearing. Those steps right there, practical steps, really protect unity and they also build a much deeper bond in our relationships, which we need right now. Because even in the church and outside the church, things are polarized, charged, divided on so many topics. Let's start by listening well with a goal of understanding. Well, then let me ask you this, because you bring up a very <clears throat> vital point in today's society. Uh, everything is so polarized. Uh, there's division. Everybody yells unity, but yeah. the way that they yell unity is causing division. But during the pandemic, which I think to me was just pouring gasoline on a fire, mm -hmm. for you and, and your congregation personally, when the pandemic hit, what were some of the adjustments that you had to make based on what all the local governments were, were demanding and saying? And then when everybody was allowed to assemble back together, did everybody come rushing back? Or has it been more of a trickle effect to try to get people back in and try to get to and, and still minister to them with a, well, with the anointing? Right. And we were tested as a nation. And I think of what's on our money, one nation under God, right? The United States of America. Will we trust God? Will we honor God? Will we stay united? And there's a link between the vertical and the horizontal. And when you don't honor God, it's much more difficult to stay united. I believe unity starts vertically. The perfect unity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, community, unity. There's diversity. I think we celebrate, you know, the diversity that God has designed us with, but we need to guard unity. And unity requires sacrifice, humility. For our nation right now, uh, we need a greater unity. And I believe that comes through changed hearts, friendships, opening up your house. Uh, it means that I'm gonna love you even if you disagree with me. If somebody comes up and says, you know, they don't believe in Jesus, I'm gonna love them. If they say, you're crazy for following Jesus, I'm gonna love them because my own, you know, I might not agree with them, but I'm committed to loving them. And uh, when it comes to church, things are also tricky. We had people, you know, even leaving the church because whether you put on masks or you don't put on masks, you know, people want to leave the church. We didn't do it soon enough. Oh, we did it too soon. It's like, there's no way to win. There's no way to keep everyone united. And for a lot of people, those smaller topics in, in life just blew up. And if somebody didn't perfectly align with them on something, like mm -hmm. they're gone, like cancel culture. And we're seeing that in churches too. So uh, what do we do in the middle of that, right? So I, I, so let's major on the majors, and in church, let's stay focused on Jesus and His Word. And in what does it say about our relationships? It says that we can have honest conversations, but let's also be humble. And that combination, honesty and humility. If we can't be honest, we're not going to have real relationships. Yeah. But if we don't stay humble, there's going to be division. So let's walk with humility. Let's walk 
in truth and honesty, right? Truth and love. Jesus was full of truth and love. That's how we need to navigate these times and just offer a lot of grace for people. And, you know, ultimately you can't control everybody no. to, and, and there's some that it's going to hurt. They're going to leave. You don't want them to, but you can't try to control them. Walk in truth, walk in love like Jesus and trust God with the results. That's, that's a theme we seem to be coming back on. Now, you are one of the ones that I've read about that uh, the media has come to you to ask you what you did during the pandemic, especially going, you know, putting putting your services online. Uh, was that something that you were doing prior to the pandemic anyway? And then when the pandemic happened, how did you, did you find a way to, uh, well, expand it or, I don't know, make it more powerful to, to reach right. people that had to stay home? This is a historic time in the church and in ministry. I liken it to the printing press, right? You have to decide what's happening digitally right now. What are you going to do with it? And I say it's a both and. In person's best, but also online. So our church right now is on campus and it's also online. And it's a both and. We realized online we want to improve some things because people have that experience where they're watching the worship, they're listening. You know, what can we do? I'm so grateful for our media team and our worship team and what could we do to make the experience rich? There are a lot of people who had to stay home. Uh, sometimes people are traveling, sometimes people are sick or they have a sick child. Uh, there's some people physically, they had to stay at home and like, how can we keep them connected? And there's so much opportunity digitally. And what we realized is that our services before the pandemic, most of the people, let's say we're in the room, but during the pandemic, online the numbers kept growing and now you know we reach millions of people and there's a much less than that in our room don't, those don't fit in our building so uh everything shifted and before the pandemic you kind of knew who was watching during the pandemic it could be anyone in the city it could be anyone from any country and we started to create more content because we realized there's such a spiritual hunger and as we created that content and also more collaboration uh, we started to do different campaigns online. The last two years have been an adventure and the collaboration like with Global Media Outreach, uh, it's incredible that we can share the message of Jesus to many, many millions of people and all the analytics are there. And then we can see in the course of a few weeks, there'll be over 10,000 people that put their trust in Jesus. And then there's follow-up and helping them connect to a church and grow in their faith. So all this is happening digitally. I think it'd be a mistake to say, oh, we're only going to do what's in the building and we're just ignore all this technology. There are so many negative messages right now that are spread. Uh, and I'd say false teaching as well, that let's bring a message of hope. Like, let's put it out there for people. And what we've discovered is people are feeling safer at home. People check out our church now through the website, social media, they'll go to uh, the live streaming and watch, and then eventually they're coming to the building, which is a great thing. But initially they want the safety of their own home. You know, they can click it off. They don't have to, you know, come to the building yet. We had someone who watched, came to know Jesus, and then showed up at the building because they want to be baptized. I mean, there's a lot of decisions that are being made at home, and a lot of people are watching that maybe didn't go to church in the past, there is an open door right now and a responsiveness that's just amazing. I've never seen it before like this. Well, and then how do you, okay, you know, so you have your, you have your services online and, and people are tuning in, they're watching, people are getting saved. That is, that's the goal. 
Once they're saved, how can you use or how are you using the digital age to then disciple them so that way they become strong and rooted in the word? Right. We always encourage people to find a church, find a healthy local church. And I say there's four W's, the word, worship, then there's the witness to the community beyond the walls of church. People are living it out. And then there's the warmth and the love. Find a church that's healthy where you're going to grow, you're going to serve, and your faith is going to take off. And then find one locally. We help people find churches. Now, there's some people, maybe they don't have a church near them, or maybe it's going to be a both and. They want digital content. We created content and partnered with the Uversion Bible apps. Incredible. And there's many uh, ministries that provide content there, but you know we create different series. People go through that series and that discipleship, that growing in their faith, and then they can share it with their friends too. And so millions of people connect that way. That's been very positive. And we started to take the sermons and just share them on more platforms like Sermon Audio and Transworld Radio. And what we've seen is that um, the connection that happens online is real. And even in our life groups, we have a church that the core of our church is life groups, like Bible studies where there's community built. And some are online, some are in person. And what we found is that online, people share deeply. They open up their hearts. Uh, studies show that about half feel more comfortable online and half in person. And so there's going to be different preferences. I, I like to be in the same room with someone, you know, the one another, serve, encourage one another. Like, let's do things together in person because there's so much more that can happen there. But I don't deny or neglect that on a secondary level, what happens online, there are lives that are changed. And there's the deepest work that happens online in a powerful work. And so let's run with that, too, and make the most of those opportunities. And I'm grateful for you know, our board had that vision from the start. They said, we're going to put the majority of our time and effort into what happens while we're together, you know, on campus. But we're also going to do things well digitally. And I just started, you know, sharing on different platforms like podcasts, radio, television. It led to, you know, being on Good Morning America a couple of times. So, again, when you start something and start connecting with people, it just right now, the times we're living in because of the hunger for hope and the platforms, it's like your show. I would not be surprised if this show just keeps growing and mainstream and more channels, because when you're doing something in love and you're loving what you're doing and lives are being changed, you know, God has a way of just opening more doors. And it's exciting to be on that journey. Well, you know, Pastor Jesse, the, the scripture comes to my mind are, are the words of Jesus. He said that we will be able to do more than he ever did because he's going to the Father. The digital age, I believe, and the tools and the technology that churches have at their disposal right now allows us to do more than ever before to reach people. I mean, my goodness gracious, ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us has one of these things in our hand. It's glued. It's chained and why not use the digital age to reach people for Jesus Christ? Yeah. And, and you're doing that, Pastor. You know, you're, you're getting the word. You're discipling. They're, they're, they're coming to receive Christ's salvation. And I wouldn't be surprised if people have been healed through, mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. your, your ministry and just watching um, from home. Because that's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. 
It's so true. And it's wonderful to see that. And the Bible is very clear. The closer we get to Jesus's return, that this good news will be spread around the world. And it is accelerating rapidly. And I encourage everyone, because churches can do it, organizations can do it, but it's powerful when individuals step up. And if you have a social media account, you could just check there, but it could be 100, could be 1,000, could be 5,000 people that you're connected to. And the content that you share, what you put out there on social media, you will not see all the lives that are touched and changed, but just know that it's significant. As we have digital media here, I believe that we see far less than 10% uh, and talk to and connect with far less than 10% of the people that are you know, encouraged. But this side of heaven, we'll get a small glimpse. But you know what? There's gonna be incredible stories we're gonna celebrate for eternity. And I think all of us have been empowered and in God's design through phones, video, it's never been easier, social media, to reach people, to connect with people, to share content that's uh, really going to communicate to people the goodness of God. And when you do that and you inspire people in that way, digitally, uh, people try to argue all the time, no, God can't work that way. God doesn't work digitally. It's like, Oh, yes, he already is. He already is. Thank you very much. And I'm grateful for, again, tech team, media team that have stepped up over and over again, innovative, thinking of new ways. And it doesn't always have to be super polished. If it's real and it's from your heart, it doesn't matter if, you know, of course, you want the lighting to be good, but there's going to be times you just grab your phone and you share something live or you put something out there. And, you know, that's what people are going to connect with. So don't think it has to be perfect. Uh, and and just um, don't limit what God wants to do through that avenue. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do right now. So, none, so for all of you viewers and listeners, do not move, do not go away, because, Pastor, I want you to do something for all of us right now. Both of us, you and I, are using the very technology that the Lord has blessed us with to use for whatever reason. But right now, we're going to use it for an eternal reason. I would like for you to give forth the invitation for Christ to all of our viewers and listeners who, who may not know him, but sure. may have may be searching and needing that hope, needing that unconditional love that they can receive that will never, never leave them. Could you do that for us right now? I would be honored to. Thank you, Dr. Ward. I want to say that hope is relational. It's not just a principle or a fact. It's a relationship, and you are made for relationship. We all need God, and we need each other. And maybe you've been fighting that. Maybe that's new for you. I didn't grow up with that. You know, I pushed it away. And even when I started to see what the truth was, I still pushed it away, to be honest. And finally, I hit that point. And it's kind of like a wedding where you can date someone for a long time, or you might think, oh, it'd be great to be married, but there comes a day where you say, yes, I'm in, I do. And you start this relationship. And I'll tell you with God, uh, the goodness of God, the love of God, I can't even put it into words, but when you experience it, and the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And God invites us. The Bible says Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts. And maybe you're hearing that right now. He's been knocking on the door of your heart. And maybe you've fought it in the past and said, well, I've done too many things that are just awful. And I don't know if God could ever love me. He sees those things. 
He loves you. He couldn't love you more. And maybe you're thinking, well, I got to get cleaned up, you know, before I, I come and know the Lord. It's like when I get up in the morning, I don't try to get cleaned up in the sink and then jump in the shower. Like I don't qualify myself for the shower. Like I just step into the shower as dirty as I am. And I'm telling you, that's how it is. You just come to God as you are right now. And Jesus is faithful and you can have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It's not that it's word perfect, and what it really is is an opportunity for you to make a decision to put your trust in Jesus. And that word trust is the same word when you sit down in a chair and you put your weight on that chair. It's different. You can look at that chair and say, well, I think it's gonna hold me up. I've seen other people sit in chairs. But when you sit down in that chair, you're putting your trust in that chair and you're making your decision right now. And these are just words in a prayer to express it. If this is what you wanna do, then agree with this prayer as I pray right now. Father God, thank you for every person that's watching. God, thank you how you invite us into this relationship. Thank you that your love and your forgiveness is greater than our sin. Jesus, thank you that you died on a cross for our sin, paying the full price for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay in the grave, but you are the resurrection and the life. And God, I pray right now with those who are watching to start this relationship, to receive your grace, to follow you, Jesus. It's not earned, but it's a gift. I thank you for every person right now that's saying, yes, Jesus. I want to follow you. You are my Lord and my Savior. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. If you made that decision, we are celebrating with you. And the Bible says all of heaven celebrates when someone makes that decision. Amen. And we are celebrating because we know how powerful our God is. And right now, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I can guarantee as Jesus' words are in red, People have received Christ from this very interview, Pastor Jesse Bradley. And wow, you are an absolute tremendous blessing, not only to the body of Christ, a blessing to me, a blessing to my viewers and listeners. And right now, many people have decided to take the step and big and glorious change is coming. And just think about the most important thing, your name. Your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's it. Forever. There's no I mean, greater blessing. That's no, it. No, gr- no greater it, blessing. It's, and and, it's, and, you know, if I'm ever having a tough day, Dr. Ward, I'm going to call you up because you know how to build up people. You know how to encourage people. And I, I appreciate the interviews and the heart that you have, uh, the stories that you're sharing. I really do. And if anyone's watching and wants to connect uh, social media, I just love to connect with people. So social media, Jesse J. Bradley. And also we designed a new website. It's jessebradley.org. And there's free hope content. There's a series, a practical roadmap for hope. And that could be a great starting point for you. But honestly, I'd be honored to hear from anybody. And I just I love connecting with people. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it. All the information is at the bottom of your screen to connect with Pastor Jesse Bradley. And if you're ever in Seattle, uh, Grace Community Church, that's where you need to be. That's the happening place of Seattle, Washington. So if you're going there and you're there on a, well, probably what, what is it, Jesse, Saturday or Sunday, they can just come through those doors and, and partake of of the greatest gospel. I mean, the well, 
it's the, the good news. What else can we say? That's it. That's it. We'd love to see you. Make sure you come up and say hello after the services and uh, be great to have you come visit Seattle. Maybe move up here and shine the light <laughs> right here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, wow. I want to thank you, Pastor, for honoring us with this tremendous amount of time that you've spent with us. Your words of wisdom, your words of encouragement, your words of healing and salvation and blessing to everyone that's been watching and listening. And, I, and I'm going to extend an invitation to you that you are absolutely welcome back anytime. Right on. Thank you so much. And if I'm in Texas, I'll just make sure to connect with you and all the hospitality that you bring in that great state. Well, I will tell you this. If you ever need a word of encouragement, you know my number. <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you so much, Dr. Ward. And I'm so glad that your vision is improving. Our God is a healer. Oh, amen to that. And uh, all praise goes to the Lord for not just for my eyes, but for a lot of you, your eyes have been opened to the, the greatest gift that God has ever given anyone. And that is his son, Jesus. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.